When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. This is the GM Shuffle. This is a pedigree position. I mean, and that's why when you win titles, you've got a good defensive line. That's why the Purple People Eaters were going to the Super Bowl in Minnesota, the Steel Curtain with Pittsburgh. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. Welcome to another edition of the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Michael, how about this? The first day of training camp, we get a little bit of breaking news, which is why we're going to sound a little bit different the rest of the way with this podcast. Full transparency, we taped an episode this morning on Thursday, but then we get the news of Kyler Murray, buddy. I mean, this is just welcome back to the NFL season, Michael. (laughs) You know, I'm taking this very personally. I think Kyler Murray knows I call him the mayor of Munchkin Land, and I think he waited until we reported the A block, and then he said, you know what, I'm going to sign this most ridiculous contract I could ever sign. But you asked the questions. I mean, wow. I mean, the mayor, uh, I give him credit. Look, how many ransom letters do you send and actually get answered? Like, seriously, how many ransom letters? We should get Bo Diddley on here, or whatever the hell that PI on, where there was a guy on, there was a guy, let me look on my phone here. I just listened to his pod. It was fascinating. He was he was a guy that, oh, Chris Voss, he was a guy that negotiated with terrorists and did all that. I mean, like, I would love to ask his opinion of the ransom letter from, from Kyler and how it worked out. <laughs> yeah, apparently it's worked out really well for, for Eric Burkhart, Kyler's agent, for Kyler, for Cliff got his extension uh, earlier Cliff's this agent, year. So Cliff's agent too. that. Yeah, yeah, no, he's Cliff's agent, so a tip of the cap to Eric Burkhardt. He's done well with this Cardinals organization. But as always, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you find the podcast. You can tweet at Michael at M Lombardi NFL. You can tweet at me at Femi Abebefe, our producer Stephen Bond with us as always on the ones and twos. And we definitely need him on a day like today where we're kind of uh, going by the seat of our pants here and calling a couple audibles. But let's get to the terms of the deal here, Michael, as we dive into this Kyler Murray discussion. Uh, this was reported by Adam Schefter. He was one that broke the story earlier this morning. Kyler Murray signing a five-year extension worth $230.5 million, including $160 million guaranteed. It gives Kyler Murray, now he's among the highest paid quarterbacks in the league. His average per year is just second to Aaron Rodgers. We'll get into the nitty-gritties of the deal coming up, I'm sure, within the coming days once the actual tea leaves come out. But on the surface, it seems like a major, major payday for the mayor. Well, I think you got to understand what's new money and what's new guaranteed, right? So he was due to make whatever he was this year. And I think he had like 20 million on his player on next year. So he has two more years coming. So if, did they guarantee those two years? Because that's really not a guarantee. He was going to earn that money anyway. I mean, it was there. So yeah. what, what is the new money in the deal? What is the new money in the deal? Is it all, is it, does it start in after the, do they let him play two more years out or does it start now and they've redone the deal? 
Like how did they take that money that he was currently owed and implement it into the deal? So that, that so when Schefter reports it, he's reporting it as if he's gotten 46. Well, and you got to take the old money out and count the new money in, right? So you've got to kind of play around with that. That's first. But look, all these deals get reported for the benefit of the agents. We know that. That's what this is what reporting is. Once we peel back the layers, we find out. Here's my number one why I hate the deal. Hey, I, I don't love the player. Okay, I love the player's highlight reels. I love the player's ability to be beep beep. I don't love the player when he has to play in the pocket. I don't love the player when he was 19 for 34 for 130 yards in, a, in, a, in the most important game of the year against the against the Rams. Right? I don't love when teams that know what they do force him to play quarterback from the pocket. I don't love the player there. But let's take that out of it. To me, if I'm Steve Kine, and I'm the general manager. My job when I draft a quarterback in the first round and pay him, I've got to build a team around him with youth, with with experience, with youth and some experience, and make the team better. Take the Eagles, for example, Femi. I mean, mm-hmm. we can debate Jalen Hurts all we want. Is he good enough? Is he not good enough? But what the Eagles have done is they've made the team around Jalen Hurts pretty damn good. So when yeah. they either decide Hurts is in or out, they've got a good team and a good team that's cap friendly team. That's not the that's not the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, Kime's signing veterans. You got JJ Watt. You know he's an older player. Can he stay healthy? You got AJ Green. Can he stay healthy? You got three of your offensive linemen over thirty years old. Like this is not a young team around the player. They've not drafted well. Okay, they got Isaiah Simmons and Buda Baker. Simmons had three and a half sacks last year. Maybe the light comes on. I don't know. But, like, they haven't drafted. So they basically have lost the most important part of drafting a quarterback, which is to build a team when the quarterback shot. The 49ers, for example, they got Trey Lance. It cost them really no money. So they can go give Samuel. They can go give these other players money. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the situation the Cardinals. I guess they felt that they were up against it because of the ransom letter that you mentioned earlier on in this podcast. Uh, Kyler clearly wanted his money. Um, the way things ended last year, he was upset. I'm sure the Cardinals were upset, but it's putting him up there in the guarantees, second most guarantees of a quarterback in the league to me. I get why they had to pay him of just because they feel like the talent is worthwhile, but we haven't seen the talent come to fruition late in the season. Right now, looking at the numbers, Deshaun Watson has the most guarantees of any quarterback in the league with $230 million, which is astronomical. Then you get to Kyler Murray at $160 million. So Kyler's number two for most guarantees for a quarterback and also the highest average per year on a quarterback contract. Uh, it goes to show you that kind of what the NFL has become with the highest paid QB usually is the next QB that needs to get paid. Well, I mean, there's only two left, right? So we know Russell Wilson's going to get a new deal, right? And he's just waiting. I think the sale of ownership's August the 9th. So he'll get a new deal. He's going to want to get up by, he's going to want to get as close to Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he's got a Super Bowl under his belt. And then Lamar yeah. Jackson's got an MVP under his belt. He's sitting here looking at, wait a minute, you got to pay that guy? Like, you just paid this guy more than Mahomes. Like, he, and you didn't have to pay him for two more years. You owned his rights for two more years. Like, why not just say, hey, Kyler, play it. Like, why are you call it? Why, why are you scared of Kyler? I mean, Femi, how many times have I said this, right? But do you remember when Buda Baker got hurt? Every player ran onto the field except for Kyler Murray sat on the bench. I mean, like, this is not an endearing guy. Watch his body language. Watch him. 
Talk to any player who's been there. Does the guy have any leadership skill? No. Is he a great athlete? No doubt. Can he run around and make plays? Beep, beep. Here we go. But when you make him play quarterback and lead the team, those are two things he doesn't do very well. So, like, to me, this is like a rush to judgment. This is a panic move by the Cardinals. And Kime, fortunately for Kime, you know, he's got the owner and him are, are, are lockstep buddies. I mean, if it wasn't for that relationship, like, how do you draft Josh Rosen and keep your job and then come back with Murray? But Kime's been able to do it. You know, so it's politics, too. And, and at the end of the day, if I'm the owner of the Cardinals, my team isn't great, and I missed three years of building the team. Well, well, why is it that you think Michael Bidwell, the owner, is attaching himself to Steve Kime, Cliff Kingsbury, and Kyler Murray? Because all those guys are now signed through the year 2027, and this is an operation, Kime, Kyler, and Cliff – that has yet to win a playoff game. Now, the one thing that they will probably point to would be my guess is that they've had an upward trajectory since Kyler came into the league. His first year, they won five games. His second year, they won eight games. Last year, they won 11 games. So I'm, I'm sure they're selling themselves on, hey, our process is sound. If we can just sustain this in the second half of the year, we could be right where we want to be. But why is it that Bidwell is so eager to commit to these guys? Well, I think it's because he's involved with it. I mean, go back to study their drafts, right? I mean, they haven't drafted well. You know, I mean, they haven't done a great job in the draft. And they've signed older free agents. I mean, you know, they let Campbell, two of the best players on Green Bay's team last year, they let walk out of Arizona last year, Douglas and Campbell. I mean, think about it, right? I mean, they let them walk out. They haven't done a good job evaluating their own play. I mean, their offensive line has been – I mean, they got three guys over 30 years old. All guys except for Humphreys have been kind of reshuffled. Hudson and Pugh, you know, and Kelvin Beecham. These guys have been out there. Like, they're not a talented – you know, this is a great offensive team. Like, look, the car, look, the Bengals are a very good young team with a young quarterback on a very, very friendly deal. When they got to pay Burrow and they got to pay Chase, they'll still have a good team. But now you pay this guy, you know, you're not going to have Hopkins in the first round. You're not going to have Hopkins. You think A.J. Green's going to carry it? Okay, you got Hollywood Brown. You know, I, I just, to me, I don't know what the rush was. I don't know why they were panicking. I don't know what it was that they've seen out of this player. And I'm observing this from afar. Like, I don't see the leadership. I don't see the endearing qualities to his teammates. And I think all this contract's going to do is piss off his teammates. Yeah, it's really going to be fascinating to see how this plays out. Kyler's going to be at training camp. We at least know that. He showed up for the mini That's camp nice. stuff after missing the first week of OTAs. That's nice of him that he's going to come. I mean, I'm yeah. sure. He'll you know, be there. He won't talk to anybody at camp. You know, you know he won't talk to anybody really at galvanized. camp. I promise you, if we can get the, the four-string quarterback on this podcast and ask did he ever have a conversation with Kyler Murray, the answer would be no. He don't even acknowledge it. Which is interesting because Kyler, the player, you said that you don't really, you're not in love with the player. You acknowledge the highlights and the beep beep. When he looks good, it looks great for Kyler Murray. But then the bottom, it also doesn't look as good. That could look really, really bad. So now this is maybe what the Cardinals might be buying into because Kyler, since he entered the league in 2019, has increased his completion percentage each of the last three years. He's also increased his yards per attempt and his adjusted yards per attempt as well. So do you think that Kyler, his trajectory as a player is going to continue to go up here or do you think that maybe some of these injuries might derail what could be a promising career 
if I'm Kime, I'm worried about him playing through injuries. He doesn't play well when he's hurt. That's A. B, I'm worried about when we play against good coordinators, Raheem Morris, who rushes him a certain way and keeps him in the pocket. The last game against Seattle, I think he threw for like 150 yards. Seattle rushed for They scored 30 points, but it wasn't because of passing the ball. When you rush him the right way, when you contain him in the pocket and you build the umbrella, you get into the paint, it's a real issue for him. So for me, like – I, those are the two things that I would have a hard time. Like, I haven't seen him play left-handed and win. I've seen him play right-handed and dominate against some bad teams that run their ends up the field, the bad teams that give him a chance to run around and scramble. But against San Francisco, who's going to keep him in the pocket, or the Rams who keep him in the pocket, it's a little bit of a problem. Yeah, I wonder if they're going to get Hollywood Brown done because they made the trade for Hollywood Brown giving up a first-round pick. That's well, Kyler's buddy from the Oklahoma team. days. Femi, all he's got to do is write a ransom letter. I mean, there'll be enough. And you know what? I would do it. You know how you used to do it out of you get a magazine and you just start cutting letters out? I mean, that's what you need to do. Just get a ransom letter. I, I hear you're going to do that with a visa. I hear you're going to send a ransom letter to Visa. I mean, it's going to work. I mean, why not? Yeah, yeah, we'll see. And I'm about to call my agent and see what we can get done here. Yeah, let's put that in the paper. Femi, and then, and then clip out, like, get a magazine and clip out all the letters and do it in there yeah. so it can't be traced, you know? Yeah, I was like, we'll not show up for his show later this evening until something is addressed with the contract. Yeah, exactly. I mean, why not? It worked. <laughs> Apparently it works. Uh, I think maybe it works more in the NFL versus in our uh, our racket doing media stuff. But uh, yeah, kudos to Kyler and his camp for getting that done. Now, we got this question from a listener here. His name is Steven Z. And I thought it was a really good question asking about how this contract for Kyler Murray affects Lamar Jackson and what's potentially going to happen in Baltimore. Lamar has reported to training camp and he seems like he is fine playing on his current deal, but I'm sure the Ravens would like to get him done. He's a former MVP and they would like to kind of just earmark that money and get it situated so we don't have to worry about that later on. The Lamar deal, you mentioned him being an MVP. He's probably looking at Watson's money saying, okay, like this is the ceiling. Maybe I can get up to here. Or do you think it's going to be closer to what we see with Kyler Murray and the rest of the other quarterbacks with the guarantees at least? Well, I mean, I, I think if you're if you're Lamar, you're saying, hey, I got to try to get as much guarantee as I can. What's the new money average per year? I should be above Kyler. I mean, Kyler being above Mahomes, Kyler being above Josh Allen is jokes is, is a joke. Like that yeah. contract sitting there. Oh, yeah. it's brand new. If you're if you're if you're Steve Kime and you're negotiating the contract with Eric Burkhalt Hart, I think of the agent. You say, look, bro, your guy's not better than Mahomes. I'm not paying him more than Mahomes. That's the end of the story. Your guy's not better than Josh Allen. I'm not paying him more than Josh Allen. These are new deals. These are these are these are perfectly done deals. Your guy's gonna have to take less than that. If not, play on two years. I got you for two years. Hang up. So Lamar <laughs> is sitting there saying, okay. All right, I'm in the same draft class as Josh Allen. I've won an MVP. I haven't played as well in the playoffs. Maybe I'm a little bit more than Josh. Maybe I'm at Josh. You can make that argument. Guarantee, there's two negotiations, the average per year and the, and the guarantees. You work on that. Yeah, yeah, I think, it, and we saw that with the Las Vegas Raiders here with Derek Carr. Derek Carr signed a new deal this year, and he didn't eclipse Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes or get to the Watson and Rodgers type of money. He settled in just above Matthew Stafford and Dak Prescott for his average per year here. So it, there's you know, precedent for that. They're willing to say no. The Cardinals, Kime, and that group, they were just, once they entered into this negotiation with two more years, there was you can't say no. Cause you got no, you know, it's like you, you're just not gonna, you're not gonna say no. Just keep asking. It's like Juan Soto. Just keep asking for more money and an airplane ride. 
<laughs> private aviation. Are the Cardinals, are they just like a low self-esteem franchise? Is that what we're learning here? I think they're desperate. You know, I don't think they're courageous. I think they're desperate. I think they went all in on this guy and they see something. They must not have watched the last game of the year or the last two games of the year. You know, they, did they, and they didn't watch them against Chicago. Remember against Chicago? They, Chicago turned the ball over four times. They, they threw for like 130 yards against the Bears. Yeah. Finally, before we get out of here, I want to ask you about the Cardinals team as a whole. Now that the Kyler situation has now resolved itself, they're still at DraftKings, our show sponsor, 4-1 to one to win the NFC West behind the Rams and the 49ers. They're ahead of the Seattle Seahawks, right, 18-1, to one, but they're in a rebuild right now, whether they want to admit that or not. Uh, what is your projection for this Arizona Cardinals team heading into this 2022 season? I mean, I don't like their whole team. I think James Conner played well on that contract last year. Will he be better? You know, will Hollywood Brown replace Kirk? You know, they're going to miss Hopkins for six games. I worry about the offensive line. You know, defensively, down the stretch, they didn't play as well as they needed to play. They were better earlier in the year. Can they stay healthy? I think the secondary, to me, is a concern. You know, I, I, to me, I, I think they're a 9-8 and eight type of team, and, I, and that's counting on the quarterback. I mean, remember, last year, Colt McCoy won a couple games for him in the backup role. He beat Seattle up there, and he beat San Francisco. Yeah, and their win total set at eight and a half. So if you mean nine and eight team, if for the folks who want to bet the over there, uh, that would just get it home you know, for you to be able to cash that. Tells you everything you need to know. Vegas thinks so of this team. They only set it at eight and a half. Think about yeah. that. You just gave this quarterback a contract that he didn't really deserve. Yeah, it's the Cardinals were the team to do it. And Kyler Murray and his agent, Eric Burkhart, got it done there. Five years, two hundred and thirty and a half million dollars. Once again, the guarantees that are being reported right now, one hundred and sixty million, making him the second highest paid quarterback average per year. But we'll see when all the real numbers come out over the next couple of days here. But, Michael, let's take a quick break. Once again, we appreciate everybody hanging with us. The podcast coming a little late because of this Kyler Murray breaking news. But we'll get to the regular scheduled programming with the red chips and blue chips here. All right. Anytime you're on the golf course, you always hear the phrase, hit it long and hit it straight. Well, as somebody who's a novice to the game of golf, a new person, I wanted to make sure I had the best equipment possible. So, as a novice golfer, I went and hit up our friends over at PXG because they have an all-new driver called the Black Ops. I mean, my man Chris over in Henderson has hooked me up with a phenomenal driver that's built to my game. My new game that doesn't really do much of anything on the course, but it has what I need in terms of the club head speed and the kind of grip that I need to go out there and be the best to my ability. I mean, this is music to ears to any golfer, whether you're a novice like myself or if you've been playing the game for decades. The PXG Black Ops driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Op drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. That's just ridiculously high. So what you got to do Go check out the PXG Black Ops Driver. You'll be as impressed with it as I am. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment at pxg.com slash gmshuffle and use code gmshuffle at checkout. That's pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle for free shipping on all equipment, pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle. 
All right, Michael, let's get back to our red chips and blue chips series here this week. We're going to tackle the defensive line. So we'll do defensive ends and defensive tackles here in this episode. And I'm really, really excited to get into this because this is one of my favorite position groups. I think it's one of the position groups that dictates who wins and loses games oftentimes. But before we get into the list of red chips, let's set the criteria because we always want to start from setting the criteria. And then that helps further explain why these guys are in the respective positions here. What, in your opinion, is the criteria for a defensive end, the difference between a red chip and a blue chip, and what goes into that? Well, I think a couple factors, right? It's it's Kent. Does the guy alter the protection scheme? You know, does the protection have to go to him in all cases? Is he always unblockable by one person? Can he create negative plays that necessarily mean sacks? And most importantly, and this is really important, can he hurry the quarterback to throw the ball? Because often sacks are a result of no one's open. Hurries are a result of I got to get interceptions create are created by hurries. So to me, it's it's a lot of that that goes into it. And instead of sorting the linebackers, Russell Gary is he a down guy? Is he an outside linebacker? I just basically lumped everybody who rushes the passer on a continual basis over eighty percent of the time into the defensive ends. I mean, you can call T.J. Watt a linebacker. Right, but mm-hmm. T.J. Watt's a true on the ball, come after the quarterback and pressure the quarterback and change the game. So in this list, there'll be some defensive ends, there'll be some linebackers, but what we're calling this is on the ball players. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense there because yeah, I was wondering because I saw T.J. Watt not to spoil what's going to be coming up in the next segment with the blue chips, but yeah, I saw him on there. I was like, okay, that's interesting that. Some people list him as a linebacker, but we're going to put some of these on-ball guys at defensive end. So here are the red chips that Michael has for defensive ends in the NFL. Chandler Jones of the Las Vegas Raiders, newly acquired Chandler Jones there. He was in Arizona the past few seasons. Trey Hendrickson of the Cincinnati Bengals. You have Robert Quinn of the Chicago Bears, Cam Jordan of the New Orleans Saints, and Shaq Barrett of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And one thing I noticed here, Michael, with the defensive line group, as opposed to what we saw in the secondary with the linebackers, a whole lot more first-round picks in this group on your red chips list. No doubt. I mean, this is a pedigree position. I mean, and that's why when you win titles, you've got a good defensive line. That's why the Purple People leaders were going to the Super Bowl in Minnesota, the Steel Curtain with Pittsburgh, you know, the, the Fearsome Foursome with the Rams, the, the Doomsday Defense, the Sackett, all those teams, they have signature names to them because they were dominant here. And it's hard to get dominant here picking in the fourth or fifth round. To get a Charles Haley in the fourth round is a hard thing to do. To get a Max Crosby in the third round is a yep. hard thing to do. So, you or a fourth round. I mean, it, it, it takes a lot. So it's usually a pedigree position, and it's usually guys that understand how to play the position and not run past the quarterback. One of my pet peeves, I, I think this is, I don't understand why more defensive line coaches don't have this at their practices. You know, they all practice, you know, get up the field, you know, get going, but they don't practice not running past the quarterback. And as I've said many times on this podcast, the worst place to be in football is past the quarterback because he never turns and runs that way. Never. <laughs> so now the game becomes 11 on 10. When, 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 and Dockway runs past the quarterback, which he does on a continual basis, you know, all the time, you know, his defense is playing 10 on 11. And so it's a, it's a disadvantage, and you allow the quarterback to step up. I truly believe on every practice field, there should be an area where all the players in the defensive under, uh, line understand they have to get into the paint, 
And what is the paint? The paint's the outside shoulder of the guards from one side to the other. Back five yards to the quarterback. Like the free throw lane in basketball. You know, we got to get into the paint. And if we're not in the paint, we can't affect the quarterback. And you judge players, can they get into the paint? So on this list, when you break it down, I mean, Chandler Jones, he had 10 and a half sacks. He had 26 quarterback hurries last year. You know, top in the league. One of the top in the league. Troy Hendrickson, he had 39 quarterback hurries last year. I mean, excuse me, 29 quarterback hurries. You know, Robert Quinn had 17 and 18 and a half sacks. He had 17 quarterback, and he had 13 tackles for loss. I mean, he bounced back tremendously. Yeah. He was a, a dud to And what makes Quinn's year so sensational is he was never playing with the lead in that Chicago Bears-Matt Nagy offense. I mean, he was always playing from behind, so he had to play run and pass which people don't understand, it's a lot easier when you have the lead. That's what makes T.J. Watts here last year so sensational because they were in so many, they were behind in so many games. You know, Cam Jordan plays more of a five technique inside, but he's still so effective. 22, 22 uh, qu- quarterback hits, uh, hurries. And then Shaq Barrett, I, I think Shaq Barrett's the one guy, I put him here, I think you could have, you know, I could have put Matt Judon. I could have put Hassan Riddick. I could have put uh, Sam Hubbard of the Bengals, who I thought played really well, or Brian Burns of Carolina. I I went with Barrett. He had 22 quarterback hits. I I think he played well. Judon, to me, it was between Judon and Barrett. I settled on Barrett. I'm not sure I'm right, but to me, that's the group. Yeah, Shaq Barrett, what makes him even more impressive is that he's an undrafted free agent in 2014. So this guy has really come up from being a guy who's on a practice squad and has turned himself into a really good player here and was one of the guys that helped the Tampa Bay Buccaneers win that Super Bowl a couple years ago. I want to get back to Chandler Jones, though, because the guy who has the most sacks since 2012 when he entered the league is Chandler Jones with 107 and a half year, two-time first-team All-Pro, now with the Raiders giving them bookend pass rushers with himself and Max Crosby. How do you think that bodes for the Raiders here in 2022 with Chandler Jones now uh, getting a little bit more help on that defensive line? Well, if you're Josh McDaniels, you're saying to yourself, how can I make my defense really excel? You know, what assets, Bill Walsh used to tell coaches all the time, put a stick it note on your computer to ask yourself every morning, what assets do we have that we're not utilizing? And the assets that the Raiders have, it isn't in their secondary. It isn't a corner. It's with these two players. And how do you, how do you maximize their talent? Get the lead. Mm-hmm. The Raiders, if, the Ra- if this time next year, or we're sitting in February, we're at the South Point and we're having dinner at Michael's, you know, talking about the season. You know, the Raiders have to be in the top five in first half point differential. And if they are, they'll make the playoffs, they'll make a deep run. If they're not, they won't. They have to take the mentality, we have to go into the first quarter and score. We've got to, instead of establishing the pass, establishing the run, we're going to establish the lead. We're going to play from in front. We're not saving anything for the third quarter. We're coming after your ass. Because now what that does, that allows Crosby and the great Chandler Jones to rush. I think these two will be dynamic, but they can be more dynamic and more uh, uh, divisive when they're able to play from in front. Four of these five guys are 30 plus, which I thought was really interesting because typically with the red chips, blue chips, you think these are guys who are ascending Maybe these guys are at the peak, and then now it's only going to be the dissension for their careers, but still great really, question. really great players nonetheless yeah. here. Um, did that surprise you when you were putting this list together? I mean, Robert Quinn entering his age 32 season on a team that's in year one of a rebuild with the new general manager, Ryan Poles, out there in Chicago. Maybe Quinn's a trade candidate for one of these Super Bowl contenders to maybe hopefully get them over the top. 
You know, I, I, that's such a great question because I think we all look at pass rushers as guys run up the field. I mean, you'll watch college football on Saturday and you'll hear you'll hear the, the announcers talk about, oh, he's got speed around the edge. Well, it's mm-hmm. you never really get there with just speed around the edge, right? It takes savvy. It takes the understanding how to work inside. Like, I, I don't understand why defensive line coaches don't – if I was a defense coordinator in the NFL, I would spend more time choreographing my rush – than yeah. I would trying to do anything else. Like if I've got Chandler Jones at right end and I've got Max Crosby at left end, then I got to make sure Chandler, you're going high, I'm coming low. We're going to build a, we're going to we're going to we're going to contain this quarterback high low or I'm coming inside, you've got to run the edge a little bit so I force him out if he's left-handed. If the quarterback's right-handed, I'm coming inside, I want to force him to his left. And so it's got to be choreographed and the guards get into the paint. We've got to push the line back. So I think a lot of this comes down to experience, understanding how to set up the rush, understanding how to run the picks, run the games, understanding the timing that needs to be. It's not all just speed and athleticism. Yeah, yeah. Guys who set things up first quarter, then they come back and counter in the fourth quarter when the game is really on the line. I think those are the best pass rushers that do that and sequence some of those pass rushing moves and the hand usage. So many things go into being a good pass rusher other than, like you mentioned, just speed and raw athleticism. Here are the list of some of the guys who were runner-ups that didn't quite make the cut for your red chips. You mentioned Matthew Judon of the New England Patriots. Hassan Reddick, now with the Philadelphia Eagles, was recently in Carolina. Sam Hubbard of the Cincinnati Bengals. And then Brian Burns, who I really like, out there in Carolina line speaking of raw athleticism he's got a lot of horsepower there with that speed why did these guys not quite make the cut well like i said i think it was between shaq barrett and judon so we could have gone 5a 5b right i Mm -hmm. mean riddick had 11 sacks riddick the last two seasons have been one of the best rushers in football he's played with more power he understands the game when he first got in the league he was a he was out of a fish out of water yeah it wasn't until you know he his last year at arizona they've got a lot out of him you know and last year he had 12 quarterback uh, he had 12 quarterback ta- he had tackles for loss he had 12 he had 18 quarterback hurries and he had 11 sacks i mean hubbert and burns both you know were able to affect the quarterback they could they created negative plays and they sacked i think they're on the cusp i think once burns i think with 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 uh with the, the, the Panthers, I mean, as I've said this many times, the Panthers are more talented than a five-win team. That's mm-hmm. not a knock on Matt Rule. That's just a knock on they've just got to come together and play with more stability at quarterback. But if they get the lead on people and Burns is able to stay on the field and they get that one extra guy on the other side, if they sign Carlos Dunlap or somebody else to go along with it, with Brown inside, I think, and, and other players, I think they can be equally effective. I think Burns is a rising star. Yeah, Burns and Reddick, a couple other first-round picks there. Uh, Reddick was to the Arizona Cardinals, ended up in Carolina, now in Philadelphia. Burns with Carolina, of course, out of Florida State. Let's get to the defensive tackles. We talked about these guys who are the, the pass rushers, a little bit more sexier, the athleticism guys, but the defensive tackles, these are the guys who push the pocket. And your red chips list for defensive tackles in the NFL, Javon Hargrave of the Philadelphia Eagles, DJ Jones, now of the Denver Broncos, last played with the San Francisco 49ers, Vita Vea, which is one of my five favorite players who's not a cowboy in the NFL, Cameron Hayward of the Pittsburgh Steelers, and Christian Wilkins of the Miami Dolphins. The defensive tackle position oftentimes overlooked because they don't rack up the stats. But we talked during the draft, and you mentioned how Jordan Davis of Georgia is a guy that you really coveted highly. Is this a position that you think is underrated by the masses? 
It is. It's underrated, and it's also really not coached to the level that it could really excel. Vita Vey is a great pass rusher. Oh, I love him. Now, Vita Vey had he had five. What he had? He had five tackles for losses and four sacks. How's that a great pass rusher? You know, I mean, you know, twelve quarterback hurries. Well, because he affects the game without without it showing up in the stat sheet. Mm-hmm. When he pushes the quarter, when he pushes the guard back into the quarterback's face, and the quarterback can't step up, he gets no credit for that at all. But yet he affects the game. I mean, to me, his ability to power back, power back, just power back, power back. No, mm-hmm. we're not going to the beach. You don't need your swim trunks. We're not going arm over. <laughs> we're going to power back, right? No suntan lotion for you. Just keep pushing the guard back. I think that's what they do. Hargrave, I thought at the beginning of the year, was really good. I thought he slightly declined towards the end. But in fairness to Hargrave, he wasn't playing in a disruptive scheme that I think he needed to play in. I think he could really become even better this year. Fletcher Cox wasn't the same player. He's not going to be on this list. You know, Hayward, to me, is so steady. Ten quarterback sacks, 15 tackles for losses, gets a bunch of hurries. And Wilkins is kind of a quiet, unknown guy drafted by the Miami Dolphins. He only had four and a half sacks, but he, but he makes plays, and he's strong against the run. And it takes two people, really, if you get a light-ass guard, these, these tackles are going to push that guard back. So you've got to be able to protect inside out. Inside out is the key to pass protection. We've got to be able to force everybody to run around a long edge. And if you can keep guards sturdy on the line of scrimmage, you'll throw the football effectively. It's guys like Wilkins. DJ Jones, to me, you know, go back and watch that Cowboy game. I don't he was sensational to. <laughs> in that game. I know you don't. I mean, he was sensational. And he, I think they do as good a job coaching D-line in San Francisco as any team in the National Football League. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a question I was going to ask you, especially when we got into the blue chips, because you'll see it's a lot of guys who were either used to be with the Niners or still on the Niners right now, because the defensive line seems to be their position of strength and they hit it out of the park with a lot of these draft picks. Um, Back to Vita Vea, though, because uh, he's near and dear to my heart. I'm a Washington Husky fan. He played at University of Washington. One of the most dominant performances I've ever seen is the 2017 Apple Cup. He was tossing guys into the quarterback. And it was just like like one guy who wasn't really racking up stats, but you can see it's so evident when you watch the game that he was clearly the best player on the field. And he has that freakish ability at six foot four, 347 pounds, running a sub five second 40. He used to play running back in high school. Like that just goes to show you what kind of athlete he is and what kind of impact he can have on the field. Now, Cam Hayward, to me, he's the elder statesman of this group, 33 years old, entering his 12th year in the league, three-time first-team All-Pro. How much do you think he has left in the tank here with this Pittsburgh Steelers defensive line? He still plays good. You know, he's still hard to block one-on-one. He still understands how to get off blocks, make plays, has tackles for losses. He fits the scheme perfectly. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, to me, I, I haven't seen a decline in his play. And look, you know, his job is to help T.J. Watt, Highsmith, come around the corner and get yeah. pressure. He does that really well. So I, I think as he gets older, he's not, he's not declined whatsoever. The guys who are runner-ups for defensive tackles here – that didn't quite make the red chip list. We have J.J. Watt of the Arizona Cardinals and then Kenny Clark of the Green Bay Packers. J.J. Watt, clearly, if this was five, six years ago, would have been on the blue chips list. He's another guy who's a three-time first-team, uh, uh, actually a three-time defensive player of the year, many first-team all-pros for J.J. Yeah. Watt there. He but, just uh, can't st- yeah, T.J. He, can't stay healthy. Yeah, I mean, J.J. can't st- It's hard for him. Yeah, yeah, he's he's in a great shape. I saw the photos a couple of weeks ago. He looks like he's in awesome Always. shape, but if, if he can yeah. stay healthy, he can be productive for that Arizona Cardinals team that's really going to need him with Chandler Jones now here in Las Vegas. Well, let's take one quick break here, Michael. On the other side, 
cream of the crop, baby. Talking blue chips, defensive ends, and defensive tackle. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, the second round of the playoffs have been absolutely phenomenal, and if you really like a team, you can bet on them for the futures markets, maybe some conference finals MVPs as the conference finals approach, or how about NBA finals MVP? And if you're new to DraftKings, you gotta check this out. New Customers bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance, see dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, Michael, now it's the cream of the crop here for the defensive linemen, the blue chips, and we'll start with the defensive ends. Here's a list of the defensive end blue chips that you have. It's Max Crosby of the Las Vegas Raiders, Miles Garrett of the Cleveland Browns, TJ Watt of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Rashawn Gary of the Green Bay Packers, and then Nick Bosa of the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, these guys a little bit younger than the red chips list, 25, 27, 28, and then a couple more guys who are 25 in Gary and Bosa. But I want to start with Miles Garrett because he, in the betting market, is the favorite to win defensive player of the year two-time first-team All-Pro. Would you say he's the best of the bunch, or is it someone else on this list? Uh, I think it's T.J. Watt. I mean, T.J. Watt led the league in tackles for losses. T.J. Watt led the league in sacks. I mean, T.J. Watt played on a team that couldn't move the ball. You know, and he's playing yeah. always too, you know, he's playing down, you know, and Miles Garrett, I think it's great. Miles Garrett was second in the league with 37 tack- with thirty seven quarterback hits. You know, he had 17 tackles for losses and he had, what, 16 sacks. I mean, he's been great. Don't get me wrong. But I, I think TJ is the elite. I, I also think Nick Bosa probably would, would be closer to anybody. I mean, Nick Bosa's season last year was unbelievable. As I've said earlier, Chris Kosarek, the defensive line coach, and Daryl Tapp, his assistant. I think mm-hmm. those two guys do as good a job as any anybody in the league. I mean, when you go over Chris's history in the National Football League, he's worked at Texas Tech, you know, some of these run schools. But what, what most importantly, when you're hiring a D-line coach is you want a guy who almost is a lion tamer, <laughs> right? Because you're dealing with high-level personalities. You're dealing with guys that that are very, I don't want to call them temperamental, they're different, right? So you need a top hat, you need a cane, you you need a whip, and you need a chair, and you need to be able to really get them, because to their own devices, they'll take the path of least resistance, right? You've got to get them going, and if the D-line coach can really get them going, and and Chris was trained by the great Bob Carmelowitz, who was, I was Bob's GA at, at UNLV, my first job. Bob passed away a few years ago. But he was trained in Detroit by Carmelowitz, or he started a pro career with Carmelowitz, I should say. I'm not saying he was trained by him. But you got to understand, the more demanding the D-line coach is, the more conditioning plays a role in defensive line play. The more that he... the 
wants the players to follow the technique and not run past the quarterback, you got a better chance. And I thought Nick Bosa was as good as anybody in the league. I mean, he had 15 sacks, 21 tackles for losses. You know, 32 times he hit the quarterback last year. That's almost two times a game. You know, and every time he hits the quarterback, there's good, a good chance a, a fumble or an interception is going to happen. So, look, all these guys, I thought Russell, I thought Rashard Gary was outstanding. You know, he can't run the ball on his side. He dominates the edge of the line. You know, nine and a half sacks. You know, he didn't have as many tackle for losses as, you, as everybody else that he only had eight. But he had 28 quarterback hits, which I think is sensational. And then, look, give Mike May, I think... Crosby was a fifth rounder. Give Mayock credit. I mean, he didn't hit with any first round picks, but he hit with this kid in the fifth round, and it's been great. I mean, you know, he got his life cleaned up again, you know, Mm -hmm. off the field issues with Crosby. He stopped drinking, and all of a sudden, his ability to excel, his competitiveness, and his conditioning make him really so effective. He had 30, he was second in the league last year in 38 hits on the quarterback, which is, you know, he only had eight sacks. He only had eight sacks, but he had 38 hits on the quarterback. He took the game over. And if he can play from in front with Chandler Jones, that's a deadly combination. Yeah, it's really a dangerous combination. Crosby was a fourth-round pick, pick 106 back in 2019 out of Eastern Michigan. But you mentioned there he cleaned up his life, and he's one of those guys that you root for because of the redemption story there um, here in Las Vegas. So, yeah, he the motor never stops with Max Crosby. But I wanted to ask you about Nick Bosa because you mentioned Nick Bosa maybe the guy who's closest to T.J. Watt here at the top of this list. Funny enough, Bosa has never made a first-team or second-team All-Pro. And I had to double-check this when I was looking this up yesterday in preparation for the podcast. I was like, that can't be right. But it kind of makes sense because he was a rookie. His rookie year, he was a defensive rookie of the year and had all those honors. And then 2020 it was when he had the ACL injury. For him to come back from the ACL injury and then last season have 15 and a half sacks. Now, he wasn't on the first team because of T.J. Watt and Miles Garrett. Those guys had terrific seasons as well. But Nick Bosa, as much as we've been glowing, about him might be a little underrated at the same time. Uh, I mean, look, let, let's be clear here. You know, I mean, Nick Bosa is better than Joey Bosa. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's better than Joey Bosa. Joey Bosa yeah. is not on the list. Joey yeah. Bosa is not on the list. And so Nick is, you know, and, and Joey Bosa hasn't had the kind of year that they need to have out of him, you know, and they paid him. But Nick, to me, is, whoa, it's a whole different story. It's a whole different ball game. And he makes those plays, and he just does it with such effectiveness, and he takes over the game. I mean, he takes over the game, Femi, and, you know, his ability to create negative plays, his ability to, you know, pressure the quarterback when it really is important to pressure the quarterback, I, I think he's outstanding. I mean, the guy, you know, well, you mentioned it earlier about, about uh, Max Crosby. We don't talk enough about conditioning mm-hmm. for defensive linemen. Because those, those guys got to play every snap or the most important snaps. And they can't be sucking wind. And then when teams play fast with tempo, they've got to be able to rush and their legs can't look like they're etching in stone. They've got to be able to get moving forward. So his ability to play with conditioning and his ability to play the run, I mean, he's, I think he's just outstanding in every area. And I, don't, I think Joey steals the... He steals the thunder from him, 
and people mm-hmm. think of him as an afterthought, but I think Nick's the better player. Yeah, well, because Joey's the one that we first met. He's the older brother when he was at Ohio State, then he went high to the Chargers. So I think a lot of folks are just like, oh, Joey's better, but I agree with you. Nick Bosa is a better player than Joey Bosa, and that's not to shade Joey Bosa. He's still a terrific player, but Nick Bosa is uh, Defensive Player of the Year worthy, in my opinion. Uh, before we get to defensive tackles, I want you to shine a light on TJ Watt because I don't want the Pittsburgh Steelers fans to get all angry at us because this guy was, the re- he is the reigning Defensive Player oh, of the Year, so 22 good. and a half sacks. What makes TJ Watt so good? You know, he he plays with relentless effort. He can go inside. He can go the corner. He's got great instincts. He's got great balance. But I think the thing that separates him besides his conditioning is his ability to play with power. His ability to lock on a 320-pound man, and even though he's not as big as them, is play with lower body strength. His ability to uncoil his hips, his ability to generate power by running his feet. Why do we want defensive linemen to have good 40 times? It's not because they're going to you know, run these marathons. It's because how fast are your feet moving? The quickness in your feet generates the power. And this is what Watt does so well. And he knows how to set up a tackle. He knows what a tackle fans deep inside on him that he needs to go inside. And the other thing, which is often overlooked in evaluating defensive tackles is, or defensive ends or defensive tackles. He tackles really well. Mm-hmm. He gets the guy on the ground. He gets the guy on the ground. I mean, I can remember Mike Mamula is an Eagle draft pick years ago from Boston College, you know, and everybody saw him as a blown pick. He was because he couldn't tackle. I mean, Mike Mamula was around the quarterback quite a bit. He just never got the guy on the ground. He just never got the guy on the ground. I mean, how many times have you seen, you know, Reggie White take that one arm and just Mm. tackle the guy down? Guys that are great defensive linemen, they tackle really well. We don't, because it's not in the open field, we don't discuss it. Tackling is really important. Yeah, got to finish the play. And that's what Watt does exceptionally. Yeah, that's finishing the play there. You can can get to the quarterback as many times as you want, but if you never finish the play, what good is it at least? Uh, TJ Watt to me is the one that got away. I remember the 2017 NFL draft. Dallas Cowboys were picking at 28. And there was a little bit of disagreement in the Cowboys draft room. Some wanted Taco Charlton. Some thought TJ Watt didn't really necessarily fit the scheme at the time. They picked Taco Charlton. The rest is history as TJ Watt goes two picks later at pick 30 to the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, (laughs) I mean, that happens in every sport, right? You have two guys you think are the same. And whenever you think you have two guys are the same, you're wrong. Because two guys are never the same. I mean, (laughs) go back to, you know... Go back to the time when, you know, the Eagles wanted to draft Perry Tuttle and the Mm. Bills traded ahead of him, the receiver from Clemson, and they settled for Mike Quick, right? They had them both the same, but they wanted Tuttle first. Or Zaire Smith, the basketball player from Texas Tech, and Miles Bridges from Villanova. They're the same player. We'll just get more. No, they're not. They're not the same player. Mm. Like, when when you start saying these guys are the same, that's when you really need to dig deeper and figure out they're not the same. Yeah. And also, if your scheme can't make it work with T.J. Watt, maybe just fix the scheme. That's also well, a I mean, situation that, as I well. What I think T.J. Watt's proven is he is scheme irrelevant, right? Yeah. If you, wanna, if, if you wanted to line T.J. Watt up in a three-point stance at defensive end and put him uh, – he, he can get away with it. Mm-hmm. If you want to line him up at Sam linebacker in the old days, if you wanted him to be the Sam in a 34, which is what he really is – you know, he could still do that. Do you want him in coverage? Of course not. You know, you want him coming forward. You want him attacking the quarterback. But yet he can still move on his feet and do the things he needs to do. He's just not going to be a great, great pass defender. But who cares? He's going to stop the quarterback yeah. on, the most, on the most important down in football when they have to throw it. Would you say that defensive end is one of the more difficult positions to evaluate 
uh, from a draft standpoint, because yeah. we talk about a lot of these guys being high pedigree first round picks, not a ton of them coming from the middle of the rounds. There's not a whole lot of Daniil Hunter situations yeah. to where he was a mid round pick because he didn't have a ton of production at LSU. How difficult of a position is this to scout? It, it really is hard. And I, I made a big blunder when I first watched Barcavius Mingo, you know, mm. I, I thought he didn't play with enough power. And then I thought then I watched him more and he started to play with power. And Mingo didn't play well in the NFL, not because he wasn't athletic enough, because he couldn't play with power. And because of the wide nines in college, because of the way colleges, the hash marks, the way they're set up, and you can't really run bootlegs and nakeds in college because the ends are so outside, right? Mm -hmm. They're so wide. You know, they can run up the field, and if you're really fast, you kind of can be deception. I think it's one of the hardest things to do. And and, and one of my notes on how to evaluate defensive linemen is, is, and I violated my own note, is don't over-evaluate the nine technique. You know, make sure the nine technique proves he can come inside. Make sure you see the nine technique taking a tackle back with power. If you can't prove that on tape, you can't take the nine technique. Because what happens is they just don't do it. Brian Burns, I thought, was one of those guys that couldn't. He's end up proven. But you've got to really dig deep into the tape. And that's where you make the mistake. That's where you kind of screw it up. Because you're judging that everybody wants to go to the 10 speed. You know, this guy runs a 10 like a corner. Mingo's 10 speed was incredible. The problem was once he engaged it, it wasn't ever, he couldn't generate the power that TJ Watt generates. And Watt's only 250 pounds, mm-hmm. but he doesn't, but he generates that power. I mean, Crosby's only 255, 260, but they can generate power from their lower body. Mingo didn't have enough lower body. That's where I blew it. And just to clarify for the folks who might be wondering what a nine technique is, that's that outside defensive end that's playing even further outside yep. of the tackles outside shape. Yep. And, and it's almost like he's unblockable out there. You mm-hmm. know, he's out there in space. That's why you can't run boots and nakeds in college because they got a guy playing an overhang so far out there. And we're getting into nine techniques, man. This is the football nerdy stuff that I love to geek out over. Uh, let's get to the blue chip defensive tackles here to wrap up yeah, our defensive this is line. My blue baby. Chips these are my babies. Yeah, these these, these are your guys. The yeah, let's go. These then. are the guys that matter the most, right? These yes, are the, sir. Not that T- I wouldn't want TJ Watt on the team or I wouldn't want Rashard Gary or, or Crosby or Garrett, you know, but these guys to me are the ones who that really, they need to be motivated. They need to be prodded. They need to play really well. And we're coming to a league now where there was a time when the NFL was filled with great tackles, and then we lost them because of all the edges. But now, as you see here on our list, the blue chips, the Jeffrey Simmons from Tennessee, you know, Aaron Donald, I mean, he's obviously the best of the group. Mm-hmm. Armstead, I, I think Armstead wasn't quite as good as he's been in the past, but I put him there. Chris Jones takes over games. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Allen, to me, is an interesting player because Jonathan Allen had 30 quarterback hits last year from inside. From inside, he had 30 wow. quarterback hits. That's pretty remarkable. And then, of course, Buckner, I think, is a real... Think about this now. We've got Buckner, mm-hmm. we've got Armstead, we've got Bosa, and we've got DJ Jones, all ex-49ers on our list. <laughs> That's insane. All drafted You wonder the why 49ers. they win? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you wonder why they win? I mean, it's it, like that formula isn't like top secret. It isn't like the, the codes to the missiles and the government. Like, draft <laughs> defensive linemen, important. But more importantly, develop defensive linemen and coach them hard and make it part of your culture. I think that I agree 1,000%. My opinion is if you're ever stuck in the draft, just look at your highest rated defensive lineman and then just take that player because oftentimes you can't go wrong there because we saw there's a reason why that 2019 49ers team made it to the Super Bowl. Bosa, Armstead, 
and Buckner is your answer there because they absolutely dominated the line of scrimmage. But I want to start this conversation about Aaron Donald because this, in my opinion, is the best player in all of football pound for pound, entering his age 31 season, ninth year in the league, seven-time first-team All-Pro, three-time defensive player of the year. In my opinion, best player in the league, but how good is he from an all-time standpoint? The comparisons have been made to Lawrence Taylor. I know you said that nobody will ever compare to Lawrence Taylor. The way I look at the defensive hierarchy with all-time players is that Lawrence Taylor's in the penthouse, but Aaron Donald is right down the hall. Is that kind of how you see it there, or is is Lawrence Taylor maybe just so far in a way that there's no chance Donald can catch him? I mean, look, uh, uh, Donald's a top 100 player in the league of all time. I mean, there's mm-hmm. no denying it. What he's been able to do, his relentlessness, his ability to play down after down after down with the same energy level and not get hurt, and his body, his conditioning is so remarkable. So, yeah, I mean, I think he's tremendous. It's just a joy to watch him play. And, you know, now look, he has a Taylor change pass protections. You know, you can't really change pass protections for Aaron Donald because you're either going to slide to him, you know, you don't want to guard all isolated on him. But, you know, it's hard to say, is he better than Joe Green? Is he better than Merlin Olsen? Is he better than Randy White? You know, I mean, he's in the conversation of all those guys. And let's face it, some of those guys didn't have the advantages. Some did. Some, when, when the rules didn't, when the rules, I think it was 78, when they finally could use their hands offensive linemen so some of those guys were benefited by the rules they couldn't use their hands but also you know some of those guys were hindered because it wasn't a passing league they had to play the run damn near every play yeah yeah and that's kind of the the game has shifted to where now you can kind of get more of the gaudy stats from a sack and hurries and qb hits perspective just to uh, outline what lawrence taylor's uh resume is eight-time first-team All-Pro, three-time Defensive Player of the Year, former MVP of the league, not just Defensive Player of the Year, MVP of the league. He's the last time that we've had a defensive player be most valuable player. So that just goes to show you how dominant Lawrence Taylor is. But Donald, maybe if he gets another Super Bowl, a couple more Defensive Player of the Years, maybe he throws his hat in the ring. But right now it's Lawrence Taylor in the penthouse. Like I said, Donald just down the hall. But being down the hall of Lawrence Taylor is a pretty damn company to be in there as he's been terrific. Um, you mentioned Chris Jones. Uh, he's one of the few blue chip guys that we've seen. I think he might be the only one on the Kansas City defense. He means so much to that team and how he takes over games here. If he were ever to be out for a game for Kansas City, I mean, I feel like it's just open season for the opposing offense. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, he only played in over 700 plays last year. He missed some time. You know, he's had some injuries, but the fact that he can still dominate the game. And Frank Clark's a good player. They drafted a kid from Purdue this year to give him another mm-hmm. edge rusher. But to me, Chris Jones requires a double team all the time. You've got to get somebody on him. I mean, he's like Calais Campbell was when Calais was really humming at a time where you had, a, you had two guys, you had to block him. Armstead has been like that during his career where he's so long and linear that when they go inside that because we're all one gap, right? Most of the teams are one gap. There's no two gap player, which means that, that, there's eight gaps in football. So that's why all the announcers love to say, we're in an eight-man front. We're going to stop the run. Well, yeah, you got every gap covered. That doesn't mean you're going to stop the run, right? I mean, <laughs> when you're in a seven-man front, that means somebody has to two-gap a, front, a, a gap. You know, the five technique to the weak side. He's got outside and inside. So he's got to, he's got to stay on the line and two-gap. But what Chris Jones does is Chris requires a double team, and he can defeat one-on-one blocks. And his length allows this. I can remember being at the Texas 
uh, Final Four, Texas, Syracuse, Marquette. Jim Harbaugh and I uh, took a, a flight down to New Orleans to watch the Final Four. Tom Crean, Jim Harbaugh's fa- brother-in-law, was mm-hmm. coaching at Marquette. And I'm watching the game, and I'm watching Syracuse. And Syracuse is playing their 2-3 their, their zone. Yep. And the arm length, and this is Carmelo Anthony, on the, their arm length on that 2-3 zone was really, it looked like a 3-3 zone. I mean, it was so long, right? And it made me think, though, if we can get longer players to play inside. There used to be a time where you just wanted six foot two, six two, six one guys to play in there, and arm length didn't matter. But now that you're in a one-gap scheme, you need to be able to have arm length to be able to reach and cover some of the gap that you might be displaced from. And these guys like Campbell, you know, like Calais Campbell has done, Armstead, you know, 6'7", uh, Jones, 6'6", six, six. you know, Cam Hayward, 6'5". I mean, that's where they get at a great advantage because, you know, their arm length allows them to play. And their pad level, because they're so high, most of the time guys with high pad level, they can't bend. Mm-hmm. These guys come in. I mean, Buckner's 6'7". He bends yeah. like he's 6'1". You know, I mean, Ed Oliver's about 6'1". Buckner's 6'7". But they bend so well. And used to be there was a time where those big guys couldn't play in there. Now you can. It's, it's interesting because... Buckner and Armstead played together at San Francisco. They also played together in college. And I was working in Oregon at the time. And I remember my first year, I was like, who the hell are these guys? Like these tall, massive looking like power forwards. And that Oregon team ended up going to a national title game. They lost it to Ohio State. But you could just tell from early on. Power forward. That's (laughs) what they are. They're power forwards. They're Ricky Mahorns. I mean, (laughs) look, the other guy that, you know, and I think that when you see these guys play with this power inside, I mean, think of Mississippi State had Simmons and Chris Jones on on their same college team. Yeah, that, that, that to me is insane. I believe Montez Sweat was on that team as well there, the Washington yep. Commanders defensive end. So that Mississippi State, I don't know what they were doing, but they were churning out some defensive linemen. Before we wrap up, I want to ask you one final question. Since we've gone through the blue chip defense, the secondary, the linebackers, and now the defensive line, to you, in your opinion, what is more valuable to a defense? Is it a pass rush or elite coverage? Pass rush. Pass rush. It's all pass rush. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can cover, but, you know, look – Hopkins is covered almost every play. He catches the ball. Yeah. You know, you can, you can have a guy covered. That doesn't stop the quarterback from throwing the ball to him anymore. You know, it's like, it's like when Phil Sims came to the sideline one time and Parcell said, Hey, just let's get one thing fucking straight here. When Bavaro <laughs> is covered, he's open. Throw him the fucking ball. Yeah. When Bavaro is covered, he's open. Throw him the fucking ball. That applies to every player in the league now. Yeah, the back shoulder fades and all those things that we see now with these quarterbacks and and pass catchers. The the chemistry is so good to where you can play the best coverage and they can still beat you. But if your defensive end is going to kick the other team's offensive tackle's ass, there's not a whole lot the quarterback can do there if they're going to be under duress within two to three seconds. Uh, So just to recap, the blue chip defensive ends are Max Crosby of the Raiders, Miles Garrett of the Cleveland Browns, TJ Watt of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Rashawn Gary of the Green Bay Packers, and Nick Bosa of the San Francisco 49ers. And then the blue chip defensive tackles, we have six of them, Jeffrey Simmons of the Titans, Aaron Donald of the LA Rams, Eric Armstead of the San Francisco 49ers, Chris Jones of the Kansas City Chiefs, Jonathan Allen of the Washington Commanders, and DeForest Buckner of the Indianapolis Colts. On the other side, Michael, we're going to take one more final break. We'll get to more news and notes from around the league here on the GM Shuffle. All right, Michael, before we wrap things up, like we mentioned, training camp is underway in the NFL. The Las Vegas Raiders out here where I reside 
have already reported to camp. Today is day one of veterans, rookies, all the like on the practice field. And Derek Carr had an interesting thing to say uh, at the beginning of training camp. He said, no one thinks anything of us, which I understand why he thinks that, because I think the consensus is that they're the fourth team in that division. But we talked in this podcast, they have those two bookend pass rushers. If they can get some leads early on in the first half, this could be a pretty dangerous team. No doubt. No doubt. And look, they have, they have, every team has liability, you know, Mm -hmm. but they've got a good quarterback. I I think the question about the Raiders is going to be, how do you defend them? Okay. How do you defend them? So Carr's smart. He was making all the calls for Gruden. He knows what he's doing. So if you're getting ready to play him and you've got Waller, you've got Hunter Renfro and you've got Devontae Adams, how are you going to play him? Okay. Are you going to roll the coverage? You got to roll the coverage to Adams. Okay, so Waller's all by himself. Who's covering him? Yeah. And then Renfro's in the slot. And then Moreau, the other tight end, is a good player. If they're in 12, they're going to create some real problems for you. If they're in 11, they're going to create even more. I think if I'm a fantasy football player, uh, I think Josh Jacobs should have a huge year. He mm-hmm. should have a huge year. Because bo- if he can stay healthy, and that's a, that's a huge if. I get that. But the box is going to be light. You're not going to have a heavy box. They're not coming to a heavy box with the Raiders. And the difference between Josh McDaniels and Andy Reid, who always gets a light box, is Josh McDaniels will run the ball. If you go back and watch New England tape, Andy Reid gets bored running the football. You know, Josh won't. And so I think, to me, that running back position is going to be the lesser of all the evils when you're playing the Raiders. And if they get the lead, all of a sudden now Crosby mm-hmm. and, and Chandler Jones can be effective. So, look, whenever you're playing against great quarterbacks, you better have guys that can get the quarterback on the ground. The Raiders do. It, right now at our show sponsor, DraftKings, the Raiders are plus 650 to win the AFC West. They're a distant fourth, according to the betting market and the odds makers. Do you think the Raiders are a playoff team in 2022? Well, they were last year. You know, I think obviously that Russell Wilson has stolen all their thunder. Yeah. And we don't know if Russell's going to be the same Russell that was cooking three years ago at the French Laundry. You know, last year, Russell was cooking at the Hasbrook Heights Diner. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, we don't know which one he's going to be. Is he is his apron <laughs> dirty or does he have an apron that has his, his name on it that's never dirty with the, with the meat thermometer in it? You know, we don't know. <laughs> It's going to be gourmet from uh, from Russell Wilson out there in the Rocky Mountains. You know, it's a, I'm really curious. When we get close to the season, we'll talk more about these teams and what we think these divisions will end up being. But that AFC West, it's the toughest division in football. And uh, you can make an argument for all four of these teams to win it. And I know no some people think that the Raiders are a distant fourth, but I would not write this Raiders team off because as we outlined, if they can get some leads, it is going to be tough to come back against them with those two bookend pass rushers and Max Crosby, the blue chip, and Chandler Jones the red ship. All right, Michael, that does it for this week's edition of the podcast. Any final thoughts before we wrap this thing up? Oh, Femi, 49 days, baby. We're ready to go. go. I'm ready to get this thing rolling. And, and, you know, we've had our lull in sports. We can still talk about it. Uh, You know, now it's time to gear up college football. I'm excited about that and pro football. So 49 days to go. We're ready. And the red chips and blue chip series continues next week with The offensive line. Like we said, the game is won and lost in the trenches. Defensive line today. Next week will be offensive line. I cannot wait for it because trenches, they matter, folks. It's not sexy, but it matters. Thank you to Michael. Thank you to DraftKings. Thank you to VEASAN. Thank you to all of you listening. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll talk to you guys next week.